Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 21, the Bible says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And Matthew tells us in verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And then he quotes Isaiah by saying, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So in the life, in the calendar of the church, today's a big day. It's the Sunday before before Christmas. And all across the country today, as pastors step into their pulpit, I hope they are proclaiming a Christmas message, a message about the coming Messiah, Jesus. As we have approached this Sunday, I have been preaching um, out of passages out of the, the Old Testament prophets. So we began with Jeremiah 33, and we talked about how declared the, the hope we have because Jesus is the Lord of our righteousness who will redeem his people. And then I preached from Isaiah chapter 9 about peace, that Jesus is the Prince of Peace who satisfies the wrath of God on the cross. And then last week from the minor prophet Habakkuk, we talked about joy even in the brokenness of this world because of the promise of Jesus, who is God of our salvation. And so this morning we, we move to Matthew, even as he quotes Isaiah. Now you may have wondered why I have spent these three Sundays in the Old Testament and not in more traditional Christmas passages. So why don't you preach from the first couple of chapters of Matthew or the first couple of chapters of Luke? I've given so much attention to the Old Testament prophets because, frankly, in, unless you understand the Old Testament prophets, you really don't have a full grasp of what's happening in the first chapter of Matthew or the first few chapters of Luke. There is an intensity of anticipation in Matthew. Matthew begins with a, a genealogy. That's not by just because he wants you to know the, the, um, just the, the, the particulars of who Jesus' grandparents were and great-grandparents. He's tying a, a, a thread from the promise that God made to Abraham all the way to the moment that Mary gives birth, and he's declaring God is bringing forth the promise that he made to Abraham and been re-articulating all the way through the Old Testament. In fact, dear friends, you can make a strong case. In fact, I believe it so that all of the Old Testament is looking for and anticipating Anticipating this moment in history as God brings to fruition the promise of redemption through the Messiah, the Christ, Emmanuel. Even in the most darkest days of the Old Testament, the prophets never lost sight of God's promise to come, to restore, to redeem, to save, to justify, to make holy, to establish his kingdom forever. And so that's why I think Matthew begins his gospel with a genealogy, with recounting um, how, how, how God has been working from Abraham. And if you're familiar with all of those names, some of them you may be familiar with. And so Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, you probably have those names. 
know who those are. Maybe you know who King David is. Maybe you might even know who some of the, the, the kings after David are. Hezekiah may be a name that is familiar with you, and, and, and Boaz, and Ruth. And, but, but I suspect that if you were to read the first few, chapter, first few verses of Matthew, there are some names in there you don't know. There, there, there are some kings that you don't remember. There's probably some names in there you couldn't tell a single fact about them. And I think there's a point there that even through some of the days where it seemed like all was lost, some of these mentioned in, in Matthew chapter 1 were not so stellar kings. Some of them were despicable kings. And yet even in those low and dark moments, God was working faithfully to bring about his redemptive plan that would come to full fruition with the birth of Jesus. So you get to Matthew chapter 1, and we have here this glorious moment where, where all the hope of Israel is manifested with this baby, and all the anticipation of the Old Testament is come. I mentioned to you that Joseph was planning to divorce Mary. As far as just human relations go, it was, it was unfortunate there's a testimony here to the kindness, to the graciousness of Joseph. I mentioned to you that he could have shamed her publicly, could have ruined her socially, maybe, maybe even harmed her physically, but, but Joseph didn't want any of that. He wanted just to divorce Mary quietly, as secretly and, 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 and insignificantly as they could. Maybe she could go back home and live out the rest of her days, and he would move on with his life. And that was the plan, and I think it's appropriate and right for us to say that Joseph was trying to do the best he could in a messed up situation. And the Bible says that as he made those plans that a, an angel came to him in a, in a dream. And he told him not to fear, but to indeed to take Mary as his wife. The angel told Joseph that her child was not conceived in the way of man, but was conceived of the Holy Spirit. Mary, though pregnant, was still going to be his virgin bride. Mary was pregnant with the Messiah, who was to be named Jesus. Jesus is Aramaic for Joshua. Joshua and Jesus meaning Yahweh saved. And at this point, the angel quotes the prophet Isaiah, specifically Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, which says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. In the next chapter, Isaiah will again reference Emmanuel where he says, Behold, the Lord is bringing up against them waters of the river, mighty and many, the king of Assyria and all his glory, and it will rise over all its channels and go over all of its banks, and it will sweep on into Judah. It will overflow and pass on, reaching even to the neck, and his, out, and his outspread wings will fill the breadth of your, your land, O Israel. Be broken, you peoples, and be shattered. Give ear all you who all all you far countries strap on your armor and be shattered strap on your armor and be shattered take counsel together but it will come but it will come to nothing speak a word but it will not stand for god is with us dear friends 
when Jesus is born, when this baby is laid in the humility of the manger, the long wait for the Messiah was over. The long-anticipated Christ had come. Messiah had arrived. The name that the prophet Isaiah gives the Messiah is Emmanuel. And as Matthew recounts the encounter that Joseph has with the angel, he reminds us that this means God with us. Matthew wanted to make sure that we understood. We didn't lose in translation the intensity of this name. This name has meaning. Jesus is to be God with us. I want to give attention this morning to this name, Emmanuel. And I want us to consider what it means that God stepped out of the glory of heaven to dwell among us in the flesh. The prophets longed for Emmanuel. Oh, come, oh, come. Emmanuel is a longing for the day that Jesus would be born. The angel declares to Joseph, today is the day. Friends, today let us marvel at the great love made known through Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. I want to speak this morning about the, the amazing love of God demonstrated, manifested through Jesus, God with us in these ways. Number one, we experience the amazing love of God by his presence. Now, you can't make too much of this. This is unique to the gospel that God dwells with us. And so we're going to talk about the amazing love of God's presence. But then secondly, the amazing love of sacrifice. We cannot speak of Christmas without speaking of Easter. And then the amazing love that transforms, that when you know the love of Jesus, it changes everything about you. But let's begin with the amazing love of presence. So the prophet says to, the, the, the angel says to Joseph, quoting the prophet Isaiah, Mary's going to have a baby, and you're to name him Jesus, and he is to be Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, friends, the reality of it is there is no other word. There is no other testimony. There's no other religion. There's no other idol, uh, 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 a pagan religion that declares that God dwells with us. But that is what the gospel declares. And the gospel declares that God dwells with us that he might know us. The religious beliefs of the pagan people that surrounded Israel worshipped idols of wood and stone, but these idols were not concerned with the well-being of the people, and there was no sense that the gods knew who worshipped them. The gospel that we declare out of the Word of God stands alone in this amazing truth that the God of all creation has come to dwell with us. And can I just say for a moment, friends, if that is all that you hear today, hear this. Because it is an overwhelming, undoing truth that the God of all creation dwells with us. I mean, that's undoing, is it not? It is overwhelming. I can understand a lot of things. But my mind and my brain is not big enough to fathom what it means for the God who created everything that is to dwell with me. I don't understand the fullness of what it means that the God who placed the stars in their spot and declares exactly how far the sun is to be from the earth, he stepped out of the glory of heaven who was eternally praised and glorified to be present with us in this broken, messed up, sin-cursed world. But that's exactly the declaration of Scripture. 
That's exactly the meaning of Emmanuel, that God is with us. And Jesus came to dwell with us that he might know us and that he might know us in our suffering and our weakness. The writer of Hebrews says it this way. He says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Friends, what he's talking about there is that Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, knew the weaknesses of our flesh. He knew pain. He knew hunger. He knew emotional pain. The Bible says that when Jesus was approaching Jerusalem, preparing his own self to be a sacrifice, that he wept over Jerusalem. He knew every weakness of our flesh. Jesus knew the weakness of the Spirit. He was tempted in every way, and yet he still did not give in to sin. The question has to be asked, why would the God of all creation willfully surrender the glory of heaven to know the weakness and the struggles of this world? I'm going to go out on a limb here and say none of us would do that. I'm not doing that. Why would the God of all creation surrender the glory of heaven to come and know the weakness, brokenness of this world? Jesus was born in the flesh that he might know us. He might know every struggle you have. He might know every temptation you're confronted with. He is Emmanuel, God with us in our weakness. He is Emmanuel, God with us, that we might know his power. Here's the blessed truth of that. The thing is that each of you uniquely have struggles. My temptations are not your temptations, but we both have temptations. My weaknesses are not your weaknesses, but we both have weaknesses. But this is what I do know, that God knows each of those intimately because Jesus knew those intimately. He knew those temptations. He knew those weaknesses. He knew those pains and those difficulties because he is God with us in the flesh. Emmanuel. But he came to be with us, not just to know us, but he came to be with us that he might save us. God could have left us in our sin and the condemnation that it brings. God could have allowed his people to be given over to the wickedness of our hearts. Nothing required or demanded that God save us from our sins. In the days of Joseph, so much was broken. There was a temple in the days of Joseph, but even though it was more grand than the first temple, when it was built, they wept over it because it did not hold the glory that the first one did. There there was a government, a kingdom, if you will. There's even a king in the days of Joseph, but it's not like the days of David. It's not a kingdom of Israel. It's a, it's a vassal state where Herod is really a, uh, a, 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 um, a subsidiary, a subordinate to the, to, to the Romans. When you read the New Testament, you see, you, you get a, a glimpse of people that are, that are frustrated under the rule of a foreign nation. They are not a kingdom unto themselves. The longing was great for the promises of God that had been made known through the Old Testament to come to fruition. But frankly, in the days of Joseph, the vision to see how God was going to bring about these promises was dim. 
They knew them, but they couldn't see how they would come to be. And yet with this one word, this one name spoken by the angel to Joseph, God declared that salvation was coming. Only the promised Messiah could restore Israel. Only the promised Messiah could save Israel. Only the promised Messiah could establish the, the, the promised kingdom. Only Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, could do these things. Emmanuel, God with us, has done these things. Jesus came to dwell among us in the flesh to know us and to save us. In fact, he says that in the, in the testimony here of the Scripture. He says in verse 21, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. We know the amazing love of God through his presence, and yes, we know the amazing love of God through his sacrifice. One of the most familiar Verses in all of Scripture, maybe the very first verse that is, that is learned or memorized by most Christians is out of the Gospel of John, chapter 3. You may know it where it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The purpose, the reason for Emmanuel is to be a sacrifice for our sins. Now, the Bible declares that Jesus is the testimony of God's love. One of the very first verses we, we read, we memorize is John 3, 16, because it is such a precious and a simple declaration of the gospel. And it begins with those words, God gave his son. Emmanuel is God's gift of love and the testimony of his love for sinful man. We do not know the love of God through anything other than the Son. Follow with me here. We do not know the love of God through creation. Now, the Bible says you know the existence of God through creation. Creation declares the existence and the glory of God. But if all you know is the existence and the glory of God, then all you know is your condemnation before the glory of God because you have fallen short of His glory. We're without excuse because of creation, but we don't know the love of God through the creation. We know the love of God only through Emmanuel, who died for us. Paul, writing to the Romans, said that God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The great testimony of God's love is that he sent his son to and gave his son for the redemption of the world. God so loved you that he gave his son Emmanuel. Don't miss this. The image of Jesus in the manger is an image of the father surrendering his son to be a sacrifice. That's the purpose. It's the reason he came. And we know the love of God, the amazing love of sacrifice, and that Jesus is the testimony of God's love, and he came for the singular purpose to be a sacrifice for our sin. Dear friends, it is true that Christmas cannot be separated from the cross. Our celebration of Emmanuel's advent must not be in isolation from his purpose. 
Whenever we speak of Christmas, we must speak of the, the, the cross. Whenever we speak of the hope of salvation, we have to speak of the, the testimony of the cross and the resurrection. Jesus came to dwell with us. He came to suffer for us, with us, and to die for us. Jesus came and was laid in the manger with a singular purpose, not that we would sing sweet songs about not crying in a manger. He came and laid in the manger that he might die on the cross. It's the reason he came. Jesus came to be a sacrifice for sin. Like Abraham offered Isaac, God offered his son, Jesus. But unlike Isaac, who God gave a substitute so that he didn't have to kill his son, God had no substitute because his son was the substitute for you and for me. The whole purpose, the whole reason the eternal plan of God, of Emmanuel, God with us, is that he might be given for you and me as a sacrifice for our sin. Emmanuel was given as a love offering for sinners, that sinners might be saved, their sins might be forgiven, and that we might be made right with God. Whenever you speak about the love of God, I think it's important, too, to declare that the amazing love of God transforms. How do we respond to Emmanuel? How do you respond to this amazing truth that God, out of all of eternity, planned to send his son to give his son as an offering for you and me that we might be saved from our sin? Amazing love of presence, the amazing love of sacrifice leads us to the amazing love that transforms. I want to read you a passage out of 1 John chapter 4. In this passage, John writes, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Two things here, friends. To know God's love, listen to me carefully. To know God's love, you must know Jesus. To me, one of the most powerful declarations and witnesses to Jesus is when John the Baptist, he, he saw Jesus coming toward him one day. And when he saw Jesus coming toward him one day, he spontaneously shouted. I wonder if it startled his disciples. He sees Jesus coming, and in my mind's eye, Jesus is a bit away, and he shouts these words. He says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, John the Baptist was declaring what the angel was declaring to Joseph when the angel said, for he will save his people from their sins. His name will be Emmanuel. 
today, right now, there are many who like the idea of receiving the love of God. And who doesn't? I mean, who doesn't like the idea of receiving the love of God? Many today like the idea of having their sins forgiven. Who doesn't like their sins forgiven? And, and the weirdness of where we are today is because people like the idea of receiving the love of God. They like the idea of their sins forgiven. We, we live in a, in a weird mix today where, and I, I've had these experiences where you come to a funeral of somebody who has lived outside of the righteousness of God their entire life. They've given no evidence of faith. In fact, they're, they, even when they've been confronted with the gospel, they've rejected the gospel. But then when, when it comes to their death, we talk about, oh, they're saved in heaven, and we'll speak about angels and all those sort of things. And my heart breaks for that because what we're saying is we like the idea of salvation. We like the idea of forgiveness. We really like the idea of heaven, but we've missed the very testimony of the gospel of how we receive those things. Friends, I want you to hear today because I want you to know the love of God. You know the love of God only through knowing Jesus. Jesus. John tells us in 1 John 4 that knowing this love and receiving this forgiveness is not universally received by everybody. In other words, you don't just get this by showing up. Those who know the love of God only know that love through Jesus. So the, the negative of that is outside of Jesus, outside of knowing Emmanuel, all you can know of God is his holiness and wrath. It's like those who all they know of God is through creation. Knowing the holiness and wrath of God is all it says is that you're condemned in your sin. Outside of Jesus, outside of knowing Emmanuel, you're not received by God. You're only condemned by God. But John tells us that the love of God is manifested among us through Emmanuel, Jesus. That, that word that is translated manifested means to call something to be fully known by revealing clearly in some detail, to make known, to make plain, to reveal, to bring to light, to disclose a revelation. In other words, the only way you come to know the love of God is you must know Emmanuel, God with us. know God's love, you must know Jesus. And when you know Jesus, it will transform how you love one another. During the Christmas holiday season, there's a lot of emphasis put on being kind, helping one another, providing for the needy, and even restoring relationships. Now, you ought to be doing that anyway, right? Somebody say amen. Are you listening this morning? Somebody say amen. You ought to be kind. Anybody got an argument with that? You ought to be helping the needy. You ought to be providing, uh, helping one another. You ought to be restoring relationships. But, but you know what I'm saying. During this season of, of time, uh, the, the movies and the TV shows and, the, and, and, and just the general sense of the mood of the season is this is when we're nice to one another. And this is where we, we things kind of, you know, the Christmas miracle kind of idea that we're going to restore relationships and provide. Now, it's not bad to encourage such things, but no matter how hard such things are encouraged, the reality is that there is no amount of seasonal cheer that can overcome the brokenness of sin. I know this because January's coming. 
By the time we get to January 31 and February, we've forgot. We've moved on from all the sweetness of the Christmas season. We might return to it after Thanksgiving 2022, but we'll forget it again come January. So John asked the question in verse 11, Beloved, if God, is, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. But then in the following verse, John declares, No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. His point is that a heart, a heart that is transformed from selfish sin to selfless love is not from seasonal cheer. A heart that has known the love of God manifested through Emmanuel, Jesus, God with us, is transformed to love others as they have been loved by Christ. The answer to the brokenness of this world is not more Hallmark movies, as good as they are. The answer to the brokenness of this world is more Jesus. The answer to the brokenness of this world is come and know Emmanuel. Experience the love of God through Jesus, and that transforms how you love one another. So this week, as is every Christmas week, there's an anticipation that's been building, particularly for young children. The anticipation is what's coming on Christmas Day. Now, anticipation for Christmas Day is both difficult and good all at the same time. It's difficult because we don't like to wait very well. We're not good waiters. We're not very patient for good things. And so if you were like me when I was a kid, when my parents were not looking, I would shake, I'd rattle. And I tried to determine, I never opened them, but I thought about it. Trying to determine what those presents were that were under the tree. I didn't like waiting. That's the difficult part. But, but the good thing is, if you, the good thing is, you know that there's coming a day when your anticipation will be rewarded, when what you hoped for will be received. And so that goodness, that greatness of knowing that it's going to come. December 25th is going to come if the Lord tarries. And so there's a, there's a goodness to that, that, that even though it's hard to wait, that day is coming. What we have in Matthew chapter 1 is the day when everything that had been hoped for is received. I don't know how your Bibles were put together. The page to the left of Matthew in my Bible is a blank page. New Testament on one side, blank on the other. In a historical sense, that one little page represents about 400 years. After the, the writing of the Minor Prophets, and so after Malachi, God doesn't say a word. There's not prophetic writing, nothing. Commentators will call it the, the, the um, intertestamental period, or some will call it period of silence. 400 years. We think six months is a long time to wait. 400 years silence. Waiting. 
hoping, anticipating, longing, and wondering if the promises of God would come to fruition. And then there's Joseph and Mary, and the angel says, behold, she's going to bear a baby, and his name will be Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. It's the moment that all that anticipation is known. It is the moment that all of that waiting is brought to fruition. It's a good moment. It's a joyful moment. Now, there's always something anticip joyfully anticipating uh, anticipation about waiting on a baby to come. It's good, isn't it? You, you, you long for that baby. You, you hope for that baby. And then there's something glorious when babies arrive. I got to meet little Reese McDonald last night. Her mom and dad, Leah and Chad, brought her to the nativity, and she was little and sweet and wasn't crying and precious, and nobody had to say, y'all come meet little Reese. People just kind of gathered around. You know why? Because we like babies, don't we? We're not looking at babies. We, babies are sweet and precious. And, and, and part of what makes babies so sweet and precious is there's, a, there, there's an anticipation. What is she going to grow up to be like? What's she going to sound like when she starts talking? When she starts talking. Where's she going to go when she starts running? What's she going to do when she, when she becomes an adult? And all those sort of things. And there's an anticipation even now as we, we get to watch little ones grow up around us. But here's something different about this moment. We know. Joseph knows. Mary knows even before Jesus is born what he's going to grow up to do and who he is. He's Jesus. He's Emmanuel. He is God with us who has come to save God's people from their sins. Friends, today we no longer wait to be saved for Jesus has already accomplished that work. Today we don't wait for God's kingdom to be established for Jesus has already accomplished that work. Today we no longer long for a sacrifice to be made to, to make us right before the Father for Jesus did that once and for all at the cross. Today we declare the gift has been given and it is available for all those who receive it by faith. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus came and did save us from our sins. Jesus is the hope of eternity and the beckoning and the call for us today is come and know Jesus who has and will save you from your sin. Thank you for listening to All for the Kingdom, a weekly podcast of my preaching ministry. For more sermons, blog posts, and other related content, go to bensmithsenior.org. That's bensmithsr.org. I am the pastor of Central Baptist Church in Waycross, Georgia. I would love for you to join us this coming Sunday at 201 Ava Street here in Waycross. Our morning services begin at 1030 a.m. For more information about Central Baptist, go to cbcwaycross.org. Again, thank you for listening. And until the Lord returns, let us live each moment all for the King and all for the kingdom.